0: Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. We pray that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith in Jesus. While we're happy to provide this resource, I wanna remind you that this alone cannot meet the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we hope you'll be able to join us this Sunday at 10 a.m. Or if you're not in the area, give us a call and we'll do our best to help you find a good church to visit. For now, here is this week's message. Well, good morning. I'm glad to be here with you as we start our new series called The Gospel According to David. And this isn't one of those books that you may have missed in your New Testament that you've never heard of. What this is, is we're doing a character study. We're looking at the life of David and we're seeing, well, for one, his story is just amazing, a great story to look at. But we're also going to see on his journey of life how so many different things actually point to Jesus Christ. And also apply to us. And so this morning, we're just going to take some time and look at the humble beginnings of David. His entire story is all about the grace of God. It's about a boy from the middle of nowhere whose family didn't think he was anything special that God called to do something amazing. And this is important because this isn't a story, listen, this isn't a story about somebody who thought they could do something amazing. This isn't a story about a family who thought their child was going to be amazing and and spoke into that. This isn't a story about parents who gave their kids everything. Football, soccer, travel ball, went to the best schools, tutors, got the newest cars, had absolutely everything in order for them to succeed. It's not a story about that. It's a different kind of story. It's a story of an ordinary boy being used by God in an extraordinary way. Because that is what God's grace is all about. It's not about what we deserve. It's not about what our parents give us. It's not about what it's, we've earned. It's all about what God, what God wants to do. And I honestly believe this, and I really do believe this. I believe God wants to do extraordinary things through each one of us. And I also understand if it doesn't feel like that's true. You see, there was absolutely, without a doubt, no reason for God to call me into ministry. I really didn't grow up in church, and honestly, I didn't like church. I thought it was boring. You ever been there? Some of y'all are like, and it still is, Brian. We're working on it, okay? But look, church people, church people were super weird, and they are still weird. I'm just one of them now, right? I've gotten used to it. But as a youth, I got into a ton of trouble. I got horrible grades in school. As I told you before, I really did graduate high school with a combined GPA of 1.52. That is a D, it's not different in Virginia. I was living with brokenness from all the sin I'd done in my life. Even as a high schooler, I, I did a lot. And I was living with that and dealing with that, dealing with the consequences of my own action. And when I felt that God was calling me to teach, I was scared to death. First, I was utterly embarrassed to try to speak to that of who I was and what I've done to then verbalize to other human beings that I thought God wanted me to do something because there was absolutely no reason for him to do that. I thought there's no way he should use me. I mean, absolutely no reason. But once I mustered up the courage to actually speak and talk to people about it, people I trusted, once I worked through that, I had a lot of older pastors say, No, don't do it. Like, stay away from it. Go do something else instead. Probably should have listened to those guys. I'm not gonna lie, okay? I'm just being honest. That was a joke, okay? Bad joke, okay, bad timing. Sorry, we'll move on. (laughs) But even worse, when I resolved to do it and I started uh, realizing how inadequate I was, I I started looking at other pastors and the one church we particularly went to Um, this, This guy Daniel, he planted this church, and when I would sit under his teaching, I would only be shamed about how good I wasn't. I would look at him, and I would hear him every Sunday, and I would feel utterly defeated. I thought, if I'm supposed to do that, God, there's no way I can do it. God, I don't have the charisma, I'm not smart, I'm not cool, and at that time in my life, I couldn't even talk for 30 minutes without cussing. I'm not joking. I was like, Lord, there is no way, there is no way I'm supposed to be up there. I would leave church every Sunday feeling crushed. It's not supposed to happen, is it? It's supposed to be the other way. But I just felt defeat. I said, there's no way, God. Have you ever been scared of the unknown? trying new things ever make you nervous you afraid to fail worrying about what everybody else thinks you ever been nervous or reluctant to commit to church commit to ministry thinking God's not going to use me he can't use me I shouldn't be a part of this thing have you ever struggled with this idea of God calling people and wondering what that even means and if you've missed a phone call You ever try to figure out how in the world, how in the world can I do those things that I haven't told anybody, those things that are deep down in my heart that I know I wanna do, but it's too embarrassing? I mean, he's not talking to me. Have you ever been too scared wondering how you could even do it even if you tried? You ever felt like you didn't know enough, weren't good enough, weren't smart enough? You've done way too many things wrong and God's just done with you? In other words, the stepping out on faith Trying new things to the Lord make you uncomfortable? If any of these things apply to you, or maybe all of them do, then lean in because we're going on a great journey this morning to learn about David. If you have your Bibles with you, you can open up to 1 Samuel 16. If not, all the verses will be back on the screen. You can follow along just fine that way. But here, we're jumping into the middle of the book. So here's what's going on. Saul was the king of Israel. A king, uh, this idea of a king was a new thing for the nation of Israel. They wanted to be like all the other nations. God said, getting a king's a really bad idea. I don't want you to do it. But he allowed them to do it. This is important. God doesn't want you to do something, but then he allows you to do it if that's what you really want to do. And then you got to sit in that mess, don't you? right. Y'all ever done that? That's what they're experiencing. So Saul was chosen to be king. And during Saul's reign, God actually rejects him because he would kind of listen to God. He'd halfway listen to God. He'd then reinterpret and do things his own way, right? looking out for himself, And one time, here's what God says in 1 Samuel 13, 14, he rejects his family. He says, listen, the the kingdom isn't going to be passed down through your kids. It's not going anywhere else than you. I got to find somebody else. Here's what he says, 1 Samuel 13, 14. He says, but now your kingdom must end. This is the Saul. For the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. If you underline your Bible, you should circle that. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people, so the Lord's already done this. He's already chosen. There's this person of mine to be the kingdom of his people because you have not kept the Lord's commands. So God says, look, your kids aren't going to do this. I'm done. You, you, your family can't keep going on. And so Saul, knowing this, you'd think he'd just repent and then follow God to the T. But he doesn't. He's just like us, continues to do his own thing, his own ways, took the liberty to reinterpret God's command. You can read all about this, 1 Samuel 13 through 16, but enough was enough, and so God finally just rejects Saul. He says, look, you're not going to be the king anymore. It's not just about your family. It's about there's going to be a new person now, and the transition is messy, The transition is anything other than, well, God said, so it must just happen. It's very complicated, and we're going to look at it for a couple of weeks. But God told Samuel, he said, look, I'm rejecting Saul completely. I need you to go anoint the next king. Samuel, I need you to go anoint the next king. Why, there's another king who's not listening to me or following me, is still in charge. I need you to go and do this to somebody else. And that's a tough place to be in. And so Samuel, who was a prophet, he Mourns. He mourns that Saul isn't going to do this anymore. Look at what happens in verse 1, chapter 16, verse 1. It says, now the Lord said to Samuel, You have mourned long enough for Saul. He's sad because he's invested in Saul. Samuel's the one who anointed one. Samuel is invested. This is his friend, or someone he was a part of. He's like, Man, I, I like I, I feel responsible for this. So he's mourning that Saul gets rejected. He said, you have mourned long enough, time to move on. I have rejected him as king of Israel. So fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to become king. And for me, this is just a great reminder to remember. There's a season of mourning for situations. There's a season of of mourning for other people's situation, but we can never forget we are to be about whose work. right, God's work. There's always gonna be transitions between people and leaders and things, but we have to be about the Lord's work. His purposes and plans must prevail. And so Samuel's emotionally invested in this thing. But God said, it's time to transition. So look at verse two. But Samuel asked, he said, how can I do that? For if Saul hears about it, he'll kill me. God says, take a heifer with you, the Lord replied, and say that you have come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you which one of his sons to anoint for me. So Samuel's told what to do. And what I love about this is his, he isn't rebuked for not understanding or having questions. But he's asked to move forward anyways. He's asked to move forward and do what God's asked him to do. His life's on the line. He's going against a king who has no problem killing him if that's what he needs to do. But what we see is he says, my work is far more important than how you feel right now. Do we understand that? My work is far more important than how you feel. In fact, God doesn't apologize for the risk involved. Think about that, folks. He's like, yeah, my life's in line. He's like, yeah, go do it anyways. He's like, yeah, but but, but God, do you understand? God's like, no, I don't need to apologize because I'm who? Right? I'm God. I don't need to apologize for this. this. This is what I'm asking you to do, so go do it. So what do we see in verse four? So Samuel did as the Lord instructed. He did it. And that's the difference. We're seeing a clear difference between the things Saul did and the things Samuel did. The servant of the Lord, he went and did what God asked him to do. Then he continues, says, when? Says, when he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town came trembling to meet him. They're scared of Samuel. Says, what's wrong? They asked. Do you come in peace? You see, Samuel didn't play around. And they knew that he could come and bring judgment. There's stories all throughout where Samuel just, he's a tough guy. And so they're saying, here's the prophet of God coming to our town unannounced. What, what, we're nervous. We're scared. What happened? What can we do? How can we fix this? Let's just get ahead of this. So he comes uh, unannounced. And they said, do you come in peace, Samuel? He's like, yeah, yeah, everything's fine. Look at the next verse. He said, yes, I come in peace. Samuel replied, I have come to sacrifice the Lord. Purify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then Samuel performed the purification rite for Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice too. So Samuel performs the rituals. He performs what God tells him to do. He does as the Lord instructs and evidently has a conversation with Jesse about why he's there and what he's came to do. Verse 6, it says, When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Elab and said, Surely this is the Lord's anointed See, if you're familiar with 1 Samuel, then you should be reminded here of how everyone was astonished with how tall Saul was. He was head and shoulder taller than everybody else. And so the oldest one is evidently the tallest one. And Samuel looks looks at him and says, this must be the guy. Like he fits the part. He looks just right. But the Lord said, verse seven, but the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. We don't have time. I wanted to spend forever here, but we have to move on. Here's what I want you to see. Your character matters. Your character is far more important than the clothes you wear or the makeup you put on or your hair or anything else, your shoes. like We focus on all this outward stuff, right? God says, yeah, no. It's in here. What's going on in your heart? What's going on in there? So your heart is what God is concerned about. So God rejects him. Look at verse 8. It says, Then, then Jesse told his son, Abed Abedab. I've been working on this. It's warmer here. Ab-in-a-dab, Ab-in-a-dab, there you go. Do you step forward and walk in front of Samuel? But Samuel said, this is not the one the Lord has chosen. Next, Jesse summoned uh, Shimia. That's right. I look, I work so hard on these names, folks. And then when I get up here in front of you, I forget all of them every single time, okay? Told you I wasn't that smart. See, that's true. Okay, moving on. Samuel said, neither is this one the Lord has chosen. I can walk over here. In the same way, all seven, all seven, all seven of um, of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Look at verse 11. Then Samuel asked, are all these, excuse me, are these all your sons you have? How awkward would be that question? He's there to to, to anoint the king. All of them come through. He's like, here's all my sons. He's like... Nope, you got more? How many sons does he have? Right, do you have any more? They're still the youngest. They're still the youngest, but, this is the excuse part, and fill it in with whatever excuse you got. But, but he's out in the fields, washing the sheep and goats. Like, I got one more, but he's out there. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. So check this out. There's this prophet coming into town to do this special sacrifice, to have this special mealtime with this family, but they leave David out of it. We know from the story next week, there are more shepherds involved, but he leaves David. He's the baby boy. He's the smallest. There's this great thing happening. And it's, it's not just that the father doesn't believe he's the guy. It's that he doesn't even invite him to participate in the family event. Do you have a family member like that? You're like, absolutely, I sure do. Don't ever invite him anything. They're like, David, you just stay out there. And think about how awkward this must be. Right here in this moment, they're sitting there, seven sons, all have been rejected. The feast has been prepared. The sacrifice is done. And now they have to do what? Wait. What kind of small talk would happen? So you've been rejected, yeah, you've been rejected. That food's getting cold. I know we can't eat it. We're waiting on who? How far away is that field? They're just sitting there awkward. like, you're not sitting down. You're not doing anything. You're gonna wait till we get this other one. This other son comes in, verse 12. So Jesse sent for him and he was dark and he was handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one, anoint him. And so here's the irony of this story. Samuel was judging based on appearances like we all do. And God said not to do that. It's about the heart. But lo and behold, the one who's after God's own heart does have some attractive features. So it's not about being attractive or not attractive. That's not what God thinks about to use you. Those don't matter. It's about your heart. But what is clear, it says that he has beautiful eyes, he's dark and handsome, but he's not tall. God doesn't like tall people, folks. That's what I get from this. God likes shorter people it's biblical. We can just go ahead and say that just that's the way it is. I don't know what to tell you. So it's clear that anyone can be after a person after God's own heart, especially shorter folks. And that's who David was. The apostle Paul, who was actually a New Testament uh, an Old Testament scholar, right? The apostle Paul wrote most of the New Testament, and I mean this literally. He was like for real like for real, an Old Testament scholar, when he read this story and he goes to interpret it really quick for other people, here's what he says about David in verse 13. Here's how he understands these events. He says, but God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. This is that guy. This is what it looks like to be a man after God's own heart. It's not that complicated. All right, we're gonna make it simple. He will do everything I want him to do. You're like, yeah, but I don't wanna do that. I know. But that's what it means to be a man after God's own heart or a woman after God's own heart. It doesn't have to be super spiritual. It doesn't have to be very complicated. Do what he asks. That's how we're that person. And so here is David the one that he was looking for. Someone in the middle of nowhere hasn't done absolutely anything for the Lord, has done nothing for the Lord, nothing at all for the Lord. He's in a field in the middle of nowhere, tending sheep. His family doesn't even like him. And God does what? That's him. I pick him. Even if you're in the middle of nowhere, the middle of Anah, right? Nowhere, same thing. If you're in the middle of nowhere, God still sees you. God still knows you're there. He sees your faithfulness. And when he comes in, look at verse 12 again. He says this, as soon as he sees him, he says, this is the one, anoint him. But listen, here's what's very important. If you've fallen asleep, if you're looking at Facebook, tune in, this is very, very important to understand. He doesn't ask David. He doesn't say, what's your plans? You busy? You got sports. Your kids have games. You got other things going on. He doesn't ask. He tells. He doesn't ask if he's nervous. He doesn't ask if he's scared. He doesn't ask him if he wants to do it. You're the king. That's just how it is. Verse 13. So David stood there among his brothers Samuel took out the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with oil. Look at this. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. And then Samuel returned. God chose David. Here's what we're seeing from this, okay? God chose David. Then God empowered David to the task he called him to do. God isn't worried about what you can do. He's quite confident in what he can do. And if he's calling you to do it, he'll equip you for it. We'll talk all about the equipment process next week. But to bring all of this together, that's where we're going to end in the story. Things aren't going well in the kingdom but God chose to move and elect an unknown boy from the middle of nowhere to be the king for this entire nation. Things get messy, things get interesting, but what we have to understand when we're looking at King David is we have to remember, David's story isn't our story. We're not all gonna have these miraculous callings where someone comes and dumps a bunch of olive oil on your head, like that's not gonna happen for all of us. But what we can learn from David's story, along with Jesus' story, we can see how God works and what God does, and we can see that He's still up to the same things from the life of David. I just want to point out a couple of foreshadowing things to come. You see, we see David anointed in Bethlehem, an unknown, bo- an unknown boy chosen by God to be the leader of Israel. And then from the life of Jesus, we see God choosing a smaller infant baby boy from Bethlehem with unlikely parents to be in charge of the entire world. You see, as David was anointed to be king, Jesus was anointed as well. You see, Christ, and I hope you know this, Christ isn't Jesus's last name. It means anointed one. It's the same thing as the foreshadowing. He is the anointed. He is the Messiah. He is the chosen one, the true king, the everlasting king to come. And while this story is about David, we have to get that clear. We see the foreshadowing of things to come. And so when Jesus steps on the scene for these Jewish people who are very familiar with the story of David, they should understand and recognize that God is in the business of doing unlikely things from this little town of Bethlehem with unlikely people. But you see, God chose David before he had done anything anything. He chose David to be the recipient of his grace before he had done anything to earn it. And folks, this is extremely important to understand for us. David, listen, I'm going to repeat myself. David has done nothing, but God chose him. You see, his story is different than our story, but the gospel expounds on these same ideas and expands them to every single one of us. Because listen, the gospel, the story of Jesus Christ and what he has done, the gospel tells us that God's grace is available to every single person. The gospel tells us that God invites and God calls all people to receive his grace. That is what Jesus Christ has done on the cross for them. He calls all of us to accept it and then live into the plans and purpose that he designed us for. So every person is invited to be recipients of God's grace right now. He's calling them to do that. So let's just take a couple of minutes to understand this idea of calling. Because when we hear calling, we over-spiritualize it far too much. And what I mean by calling is this. Simply this, ready? Here's what we mean by calling. That God created you and God designed you for his purposes. God created you, God designed you for his purposes, so he calls you, rather yet he commands you to come to him and live into what he's made you for. And I don't know what that is for you. I can't tell you what God created and made you for. That comes through a personal relationship with him. That's what you gotta work through. You gotta get to know him. That's how that works. So God calls all people now. And here's the most important thing out of all this. He doesn't ask you, He didn't ask David if he wanted to be king. He didn't ask Saul if he wanted to be king. God does not need our permission. God created us. He knitted us together. He made us for his purposes and plans. So he doesn't need to come and ask us how we feel about things. And that's what it means to be a Christian. It's understanding this. Understanding that you and me, we are utterly dependent upon the grace of God that we are at his mercy. There's nothing we can do to impress him. Everything is already his anyways. All you and me, all we can do is accept his grace and follow him. Just accept it and follow him, that's all we can do. God chose David, God chose Saul. He didn't ask either of them, but they had a choice. And that's where some massive theological ideas come crashing together for us. Because Saul wanted to be the recipient of God's grace, but still do things his own way. I want the blessings, but I don't really want to listen. I want the good stuff, but I don't really want you. David, on the other hand, he wanted God. He said, I want you, I want you to be a part of who I am. And that doesn't mean David gets it right all the time. Goodness sakes, not at all. But I want blessings and I don't want you. David says, I want you. This whole thing in my idea anyways, I'm not worried about it. I just want you. You see, our job isn't to question why, it's to submit to God. And he seems to be okay with us asking questions on our journey and talking to him and working things out. But if we think that he owes us an explanation for anything, and if you want all your questions answered beforehand, you just have a wrong understanding of what a God is the creator and designer, sustainer of all things. Like, he doesn't have to ask us anything. So we see God calls, he chooses, he elects all of us, all of us. You can write me emails and I can fix your theology later if you don't believe that, okay? But God chooses all of us, he doesn't ask us. And then he empowers us is what we see. He then empowers us. David was anointed with the spirit. And excuse me, when David was anointed, the spirit came upon him. And last week, Alan taught all about the Holy Spirit. If you missed it, go back and listen to it. And what we see is that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, like it did David in an amazing way, we just see the Spirit leads, convicts, teaches, empowers. Folks, this is very important. God isn't worried about what you can do. God is quite confident in what he can do. If he's calling you, he'll equip you and empower you to do the task he's asked you about. And the same thing we see in the life of David, we see repeated and commanded in the scriptures for the life of all believers. Me and you, we're not going to be king, but because the true king came and he's opened and expanded this opportunity for every single one of us. Now God's grace is available to all through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He died for all of us, All of us can be recipients of that. You've been chosen before the foundations of the world because what's true of Christ becomes true of you. Go back and listen to my Ephesians study. We worked all through that in chapter one. So God's grace is available to all of us. The question is simply just this Are you open to the grace and the calling of God? Are you open to the grace and the calling from or of God? I have two truths for you to chew on. I like that this week. I don't know, I just came up with Two truths truths for you to chew on. Number one, here it is. God has chosen you and called you to ministry. It's a fact, it's a truth. You just have to own that. You have to think about it. God has chosen you and called you into ministry. Ministry is not just for pastors. If you didn't know that, please sign up for Growth Track 101. We talk all about it. While I believe some people do get a special calling from a prophet, they have this special thing. They've empowered special ways. We see these amazing teachers like Billy Graham, Adrian Rogers, Charles Stanley, Brian Hoffman. Like we see these amazing people out there, right? Like that God has just done this great work through. Like we're not all going to be them. That's okay. Okay. But we were all created for a purpose. Y'all weren't supposed to catch that, by the way. You You weren't supposed to catch that. But we were all created for a purpose. You see, Jesus, the rightful king, the rightful ruler, affirms this. When he tells his followers, he commands them to make and mature disciples. Make and mature followers of me. This will be different for everyone. And some of you are called to some very specific leadership things like David. But what we're told over and over again that each one of us are supposed to be taking an active part in God's kingdom work. Like this is what we are to do as Christians, not just come to church. We are to take an active part in producing for Jesus Christ. It all starts there. He is not going to call you to something specific until you're doing the basic things he asked you to do. For instance... I wouldn't give an employee a special task, an important task, if they're not doing the things already required by their job. Would you? If you're not already doing the basic stuff, why would I call you to an even greater thing? So it all starts with that understanding. And here's very important, okay? I love you enough to tell you this. He hasn't asked you if you wanted to because he's God and he doesn't have to. He's shown you his great love on the cross. Don't forget that. And now he says, come on. I got a plan. I got a purpose. I'm doing some great stuff. Come on. Like he's excited. He wants you to be a part of what he's doing. He's told us this. He has told you you're supposed to be doing this. And from what I gather, you and me, we have three options. It's the most I can come up with, Alan? Maybe it'll come up with more. Listen, number one, you can reject his grace and calling. You can reject it. You can be like, I don't want to do that. And we see that's a choice. We can refuse his grace and the work of Jesus Christ in our life. We can reject his sacrifice and do our own thing. And then you get to stand in front of God on your own account and explain to him why you're good enough. Or you can accept his calling and reject his grace. And do things your own way. And from what I learned in the scriptures, you you can study them for yourself, is that doesn't seem to work too good for Saul, Solomon, Judas, and others. Like where we want to be blessed by God, but then we want to do our own thing. Like like not just like kind of mess up, but like refuse to submit to the authority of who God is. Like That doesn't seem to work. Or we can accept his calling and accept his grace. That's what David does. He knew he was utterly dependent upon God to live out his calling. Listen, he knew that being a king wasn't his idea. He didn't have to live up to his dad's expectations. He didn't even invite him over. He didn't have to live into this self-help idea of man, I just gotta do great. No, no, he's like, I don't know. I was just a shepherd. God said to do this, I'll just go do it. Like that, that's all we do. We're utterly dependent saying, God, if you don't show up, this is gonna, this is gonna mess up. God, I'm utterly dependent upon you. So David was radically obedient because he knew God would take full responsibility of whatever he asked him to do if he just stayed faithful. And so without a doubt, this is true for every single one of us. There's no need to be embarrassed about a calling. There's no need to be embarrassed if you think God's asking you to do something because folks, folks, he's asking all of us to do it. We just gotta start having the language and conversations and being honest saying, yeah, I know, I have this burning desire God wants me to do, so like, hey, come on. And I promise you, every single one of our staff members would love to work this out with you. We'd love to sit down and talk with you about it and help you work through that. But you have to give us the opportunity to do that. You gotta let us know, and we wanna work with you. That's what like 301's all about, Truck 301, to help you work through this idea. Number two, God has empowered you with his spirit. God has empowered you with his spirit. That's the second truth to chew on. Without a doubt, this is why I believe God can do, wants to do extraordinary things through you because his spirit is not ordinary. And if we are empowered and filled with God's Holy Spirit, then God's going to ask us to do amazing things through that. And listen, I don't know how all this works out. But evidently, Alan does, right? He chose to talk about it last week. So please go to Alan with all your questions on the Holy Spirit, and he can iron that out for you, right, Alan? Alan says yes, he knows everything about it. He's a scholar on it. So go to Alan. Alan, raise your hand for us. He's, I don't, I don't wanna see him raise his hand. I don't know what's gonna come out. So if the Holy Spirit... Listen, this is very important. You have been filled in power and led by the Spirit. This is supposed to be common for all Christians. You're supposed to be gifted in power and filled with the Holy Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit is foreign in your life, if you're like, I don't know what you're talking about, this doesn't make any sense. From what I gather, you have three options as well. Number one, you may not be saved. And that's just something very important you need to work through. You may not know Jesus Christ. You may have not submitted to him. If the spirit of God isn't active in your life, you may just not know him. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than parking a car in a garage makes you a car. Are you following? You just might not know him because the spirit should be actively working in your life. Or number two, you're hindering God's spirit. For what I think I know about the spirit that I learned from the Bible, it seems that if we're choosing to live in sin, We can hinder the Spirit's work in our lives. God doesn't seem to want to do amazing work through people who are rejecting his authority. Seems to be what I find. Or number three, perhaps you just need to mature. Perhaps you're just an immature Christian, that's okay. Perhaps you just haven't taken the time to be discipled and learn about these things. Because that's what we are here to do for you as a church. We are all about making and maturing disciples for Jesus Christ. That's why we exist. And there's so many different ways to get you, if you're immature, maybe you just haven't really learned about these things, we wanna help you. I mean, growth track is an entire four courses over a couple hours apiece where we get you started and help you learn some of these basic and core truths of the Christian faith. And when I say basic, I don't mean shallow. I promise no matter how old you are or how long you've been at church, you're gonna learn some stuff through growth track but it's designed to help you start working through this discipleship process. Then we have a 12 week discipleship journey where we go even deeper into some of the key principles and truths of the faith. And then we have life transformation groups where I ask you to get together with two or three people, hold each other accountable for being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And that's not talking about like Sunday school and some of the other things. I mean, We have some very specific things Because as a church, that's what we believe is important. Like not just coming here, not just sending in checks, but truly giving your life and finding out what it is God is calling you to do as a human being. And so if you aren't being led by, empowered by, by the Holy Spirit, it's a key indicator that something's off. It's a gauge. It's a reality check. In your spiritual life. So God has chosen you and called you into ministry, every single one of us. God has empowered you with his spirit to get that job done. And you see what I had to learn that nobody told me is it wasn't about me. It wasn't about how charismatic I was. It wasn't about how smart I was wasn't about what I felt like I could or should do. It wasn't about teaching at all. It was simply about my obedience. That's all. Being obedient to what the God's doing in your life. And that's all he wants from you is your obedience. And it's only because of his grace any of us are going to be able to pull off anything for the Lord. It's only because of his grace you're going to be able to live into that calling. It's only because of his grace you've been called. It's only because of his grace you're going to be gifted and empowered with his spirit. Like, it's not about you. And nobody told me that. And then I had to learn that when I I learned it's not about me, it's about him. You just walk faithfully. And you're like, God, you got me into this mess. I hope you show up. It's gonna be a humbling experience. Like, this is gonna be bad. And let him work that out. And here's what I honestly believe. Many of you have heard me say this, but I seriously believe this, that a shadow of a doubt. If God can use me, I can't imagine what he can do with you. If God can use me, folks, what are you waiting on? What are you busy with? What's more important than the God of the universe calling you and designing you and saying, come on. Like we got work to do. And he's saying, I want you to be a part of it. The question is simply, are you open to the grace and the calling of God? Will you pray with me?